I'm going to sound like a science fiction movie. We live in space and time. How is that? And here's the problem with time. It changes everything. Time means it's either going to get better or it's going to get worse, but it cannot stay the same. And you have found that to bug you, haven't you? There you are in some fabulous setting and somehow everything has come together. The atmosphere is right, the mood, the food, the people, and you're thinking, this is it. This is so fun. And you want to weld it. So it stays the same and it never changes. And the problem is, it will. It has to. It cannot stay the same. And you go, Arr. it was so good, just for a minute. Oh, and then you peaked. Oh. And it develops within this, this desire for permanence. Why can't it stay good? All right. Today, we're going to see that David is in one of these moments when it all comes together. And everything is sorted except one thing. This thing with God, the situation that God's in. And David says, can't we do something to sort this out and make it permanent? Make it right. And God says to David, I am way ahead of you. I am already doing something. I'm working on making you permanent. And David's head, there's a mushroom cloud in Jerusalem. That's David with his mind. Totally blown up. Here's what we get from this. If anything is going to be permanent in your life, the Lord is the one who's going to build it. Now I'm reading here in 2 Samuel 7. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Think about this time that David's in right now. We would say, in our modern up-to-date speak, that he has arrived. He's arrived. As far as a king wants to be, 
He's there. He's successful. Everything is going great. You notice that he's dwelling in his house. And Hiram, king of Tyre, says, hey, man, you need to move up to the big leagues. You're a king. I'm a king. We're all kings. And all the kings got to dwell in a good house. I mean, Mercedes-Benz Maserati house. So I'm going to do you one. It's one king to another. We hang in the same leagues. You got to have some place that says, I'm a heckin' king. So he sends them stones, cedar wood, builders, and they make David some kind of house. Oh, man. All right? So David, this is the point, remember, where David realized, wow, God really has made me king. And then you notice, the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies all around. That means he doesn't have the Philistines breathing down his neck. Nobody else wandering by thinking, oh, I'm going to attack the kingdom of Israel. They look like a pushover. I'll just take everything they've got. Nothing. No enemies. Everything is prosperous. It's one of those times where you think, could it ever be? Look at this is the time to weld it. But you know, David is bothered because he's living better than the Lord. He says to Nathan, and you know, Nathan the prophet just kind of pops up here, no introduction, but he's an important guy. He says to Nathan, man, I'm living in a in a really exalted house, and look where the Ark of the Covenant is. The presence of God is living in tent curtains. What's the matter with this picture? Does that seem right? And he, he feels like God has to have the best living conditions. Why should I live any better than God? And David seems to have had this discussion with Nathan before because Nathan knows what he's talking about. And it's kind of like David is floating the idea, looking for feedback, looking for, am I crazy? Should I do this? And Nathan thinks, yeah, well, I mean, why not? You're the guy. God is with you. So, can't think of any reason why not. Who's it going to hurt? So, go for it. That's, that's the kind of encouragement that he gives David. Now look what happens in verse 4. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I've not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. 
Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now that's interesting. Nathan encourages David, says, I don't know, why not? Go for it. What the heck? And that very night, and I think it's before any of them go to bed, like God speaks to Nathan and he says, you go back there and you tell David, don't do it. Now, that's got to be a little embarrassing, don't you think? Here's David. He's not thinking about himself. This is not for his glory. He's thinking about the Lord. And Nathan, he's a prophet. Supposed to have, you know, special access to God. And he says, go for it. And the Lord says, no. So he goes back to David and he says, God says, don't do it. And the question is a rhetorical question, demands the answer no. Are you the guy to build me a house? Uh-uh. And God wasn't even thinking about a house. Isn't that interesting? Because he says, I've been living in a tent ever since we started the nation of Israel in Egypt. That's when God delivered them. That's when he said, do you want to be my people? And they said, yes. He says, okay, here's my law. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to build me a tabernacle that I would dwell among you. They lived in tents. He says, I'm going to live in a tent with you. So then he says, when did I ever tell anybody Build me a house. Why don't you build me a house? Where's my house? As if to say, now I've arrived. Got me some kind of temple here. It's way better than the one from Molech. It's got fins, you know. But he says, uh-uh. I've never, ever asked for that. In Isaiah 66... The Lord says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. And the point that God is making is, this is a temporary time. God's people are sojourning, passing through. It's not a permanent thing. So, God is sojourning. Do you know what a tent is? It's skin stretched over poles. 
And that's what we live in right now. Skin stretched over poles. It's a tent. And imagine David thinking, I'm living above the level of God. And God is saying, uh-uh, I'm living on your level. You're sojourning. It's a temporary time. I am doing that with you. There's a reason why I'm doing this. And I'm okay with that. But it's right here that the Lord goes way beyond what you would expect, way beyond what is normal. And he makes an unconditional covenant with David. And he says, I am going to build a house for you. Look at verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who were on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Now one of the things you've got to notice about this is God saying what he has done and what he will do. And that's what the emphasis is. It's on what God does and not what David does. So he says, I took you from the sheepfold. You were this little kid set to watch the sheep, and I took you from Nowheresville and made you king. And he says, I have been with you wherever you've gone. I 
have cut off all your enemies. I have made you a great name. Some of your translations take this as a future. I will make you a great name. That is, I will make you a bigger name than you are right now. A household name, just like the name of Abraham. People will know that. You're going to be one of them. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them. Now, you think, well, didn't you already do that? I mean, they're in Baal land. And yet, it isn't permanent. We know that from the rest of the history of the Bible. And in fact, the last 3,000 years or so, peace and safety for God's people Israel is definitely somewhere in the future, but never has been. Not even today is Israel in a place where no one will threaten them. Right now, Israel is facing nuclear warfare. It, there's never been such a dangerous time for the nation, ever. So this is definitely future. Now, while God is talking about what he has done, what he will do, then he says, I will build you a house. And there's a play on words here. David wanted to build God a house, an exalted place for God to dwell in. And what God means is a house, a dynasty, a family. And that's also the meaning of the word house. So you have the house of Windsor, which is the current royal family from which the king of England comes. But then he says, someone in David's family will build a house for God to dwell in. So when God says, I will make a house for you, and you say, which is that? Royal family or structure? And he says, yes. Both. He means both. And the means of building both David's family and a dwelling for God is going to be one of David's descendants. And this descendant will build a house for God to dwell in. I always find that interesting. In the midst of all these things where God is saying, I will, I will, I will. Suddenly, he says, one of your descendants will come from you and he will. And then we're back to, I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. I will discipline just as a father. I will make sure he is raised right. And I will not remove my strong, faithful covenant love. That's that word, 
loving kindness. In the New King James, it's translated mercy in verse 15 here. And it's the Hebrew word chesed. And that's who God is. Strong, faithful, covenant love. I will not remove my love from him. Nothing can shake it or break it. And then God summarizes his promise. Your royal family shall exist forever. Your kingdom, those you rule over, will endure forever. Your royal authority, your throne, shall exist forever. That's the promise. Now at this time, David's mind is well and truly blown. He is amazed beyond words. And he prays for God to do what God has said he will do. So verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet, this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now, what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, and there is none like you, nor there is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds? before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O oh Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O oh Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever.
Now, this is one of the great prayers of the Bible. And if you ever wondered, how do I pray? What do I do? What's right? You can look at a prayer like this and know this is how you pray. And there's so much here. We can only look at, you know, the main bits. And you can read this at home and learn how you really pray. Look how David presents himself to the Lord. He goes in and he sits down. He spends some time with the Lord. And he confesses his complete humility before God. He says, who am I? And there's a sense in which he could say, I am somebody. I am of the nation of Israel. I am the king of Israel. I am somebody. And he says, man, who am I? Who is my family that you've brought me this far? What did I do to deserve this? And the answer is nothing. He was just a little kid. Do you think he was shepherding sheep with delusions of grandeur? They're just sheep here. <laughs> I will make for myself a kingdom. Nope, he's just minding his business. And God chose him. God chose David because God is good, not because David is David. And what God has done up until this point is like nothing compared to what God's going to do in the future. So he says, you know, you made me king. Here I am. And yet, as far as you're concerned, God, this is nothing compared to what you're going to do. And it means that God wants to bless exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what David could ever think to ask for. I mean, he says, what, am, what can I say to you? What more could I ask? What compares to this promise? So, David has a wider scope than just, gee, you know, my life is going good and gosh, it's so great and everything and here's God wanting to do way more. And David praises God for doing a unique work that is unparalleled in the history of the world. He says in verse 22, Therefore you are great, O Lord, there is none like you. God is distinguishing himself from all the other so-called lords and gods in the world. And there are millions, literally millions. And yet, David says, you alone are God. 
There is no one like your nation Israel that you have redeemed for yourself. Now, back in these times, everybody, every nation, every tribe has their God. And their God made their nation, their tribe, he is our God. That's what you run into in the Bible. You guys have your God Molech. You guys have your God Baal. You guys have Nebo. You have Bel. We got the Lord. And they're all, this is our national God. This is who we are. But those nations, none of them exist anymore. And where is their God? But here's the nation of Israel who comes along saying, God freed us. He brought us out of another nation. We were slaves, helpless. He freed us, and here we are. We exist because there is a God, and he is the God of Israel. Now, no other God has ever done this. There's nothing like this in all history. And against every possibility, that nation exists to this day. Speaking the language they spoke thousands of years ago, and their currency is the shekel. In the history of the world, there's never been a dead language that ever came back from the dead. But it's live and kicking in Israel. In fact, the makers of computer software had to figure out how to handle a, hand, a language that goes from right to left, and partly because of Israel in Hebrew. There are other languages, of course, that go from right to left, but Hebrew is one of them. So the whole world has had to take this on. Here's this live language. Here's this dead people that are now alive. No other God has ever done this. So here's a unique God. And here is his unique creation, his own nation. Unparalleled. And so, acknowledging God, and who he is, David goes on to pray for the very thing that God has just promised him. And you say, well, why would you do that? God has just promised. So, don't you just, okay, you promised. Get on with it. Why do you have to pray it back? And the only answer there is that God made us to depend upon him for our needs. And it's been like that ever since the Garden of Eden. It's built into our existence. You know that when God made Adam, he set him to work naming the animals. Did the animals really need to be named? Because Adam learned something while he was naming them. Still day six. That's what that is. That's what that is. And he's looking at these animals and notices there's two of them, two of them, two of them. One of me. In the course of that, 
job that God gave him, he realized, I have a need. And so he goes to God. Now see, right there, as a part of the original creation, God also created prayer. So that when Adam has a need, he goes to God and says, I have a need. Was it that God forgot Eve? Oops. We'll fix that. No, God did it on purpose so that Adam would know, whenever I have a need, I know where to go. So prayer is part of our lives. It's our existence. It's how God made us. Where to pray? Now, we pray for what God has promised to give. Isn't that fabulous? That is, we can pray with confidence because we know this is what God has said he will provide. Therefore, I can ask and he will provide. Just like when Greg was talking about his situation and the bank decides to pull a fast one, waiting until the interest rates goes up 3%. Doesn't sound like much, but it translates into a thousand pounds extra on the mortgage. And so he says, what do I do? And the guy says, pray. Why don't you pray? Oh, that'll do a lot of good. Prayer versus Barclays. Who's going to win? And then it turns out, what do you know? Prayer wins. What the? Prayer won over Barclays. You see, it's, it's always the same. We pray for what God has promised. And he says, I will be with you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at this stupid mortgage situation. Lord, help. And God answers. So we pray for what God has promised and we know he will answer our prayers. So when you look at this situation, you realize God is doing something way bigger than what David had in mind. Isn't that amazing? God wants to give David an eternal kingdom, an eternal family, an eternal throne. And he's already doing that. He's already working on that. He is working through the descendant of David that he promised. Now, he does not mean David's son Solomon. Because it's true. God gave the plans to the temple to David. Inspired plans, how it's supposed to be. And he even designated Solomon to build that temple. It is all true. It's in 1 Chronicles 28. 
But then the temple wasn't permanent. And Solomon was not permanent. The throne wasn't permanent. So this descendant of David is the Lord himself. Because it's so interesting. You look in verse 11. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. The Lord is going to do this, right? So then in all this list of I will, I will, I have, I will, I will, suddenly it's he will. And what he does endures forever. So it couldn't be anybody but the Lord. And yet, he is David's son. Now this is answer to the question that Jesus asked all these guys that were asking him questions and trying to trick him. He says, okay, who's the Messiah? Who is he? And they say, well, he's the son of David. He goes, okay. Then why is it that David says in Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. If he is Lord, how can he be a son? And it says they didn't know how to answer that one. But here's the answer. The Lord becomes born as a descendant of David. And that's why Matthew's gospel starts out the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is that descendant of David. Now, everything the Lord does through Jesus is permanent. So Gabriel says to Mary in Luke chapter 1, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, Jesus is saving his people for that kingdom right now. And he is redeeming them. Forever. Eternal salvation. And they're born again into his family of kings and priests who will rule forever. It's a royal family. And he is making us into his dwelling place in the spirit. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2. You, along with the prophets and the apostles, are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. We are his house. That's what it says. So, what do you do? What can you do? What should you do? And here comes the rub. We get to thinking, I want to do for the Lord and what I do is not enough. And it's temporary 
and you hope it's good enough, but you're pretty scared it's not good enough, and it bugs you. But you know, God is more interested in what he is doing because what he does in you is permanent, eternal. And when he saves you, he gives you his access to Jesus. And you stand in his grace in Christ. Everything you need is in Christ and it's eternal. Like you need righteousness. Well, Jesus gives us his own perfect righteousness, the very righteousness of God. You can't do better. You need mercy. He gives you the compassion of Christ. You need transformation. He gives you his spirit to change you into the image of Christ. So, Everything God gives comes through Jesus. What can you do about this? Well, you can do like what David did. He goes in and sits down before the Lord. And some of us can't sit. Either we're too frisky or we just fall asleep. So what I suggest is you can also go and take a walk. Just you and God. And then... You can tell God about everything that he's done for you. And if you think about it, he's done a lot. I mean, we, we play, what did God do right this week? And you can go back and think about all sorts of stuff. You can say, why am I even here talking to you? Because you chose me. You found me. I wasn't looking for you. And here I am talking to you. But you know, this is nothing compared to what you're going to do in the future. Because you are going to glorify me with Jesus. I am going to live forever because of what Jesus did. I am going to have an indestructible, incorruptible body that will never sin again. And you're going to give this to me. And you've said, I will rule and reign with Christ forever. And then you can do what David did. You can say, okay, God, do it. This is fabulous. This is amazing. What you do is forever. And I trust you that I am that planting of the Lord. I am that oak of righteousness. I am your handiwork. I trust you. So go ahead and do it. And you know that God is going to answer that prayer beyond a shadow of a doubt. You are his unparalleled unique work. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you're doing something far beyond what we could ever ask. We think, oh gosh, couldn't it just stay this way forever? And you say, I have much more than this.
And we thank you, Lord, that you care, that you are working, that you're doing something where we're going to be glorified and you are going to be glorified. So we pray this morning, do it. Do all your goodwill. Make me what you want me to be. And we'll give you all the glory and the honor forever. In Jesus' name, amen.